0: So uh, welcome everyone to episode 2 of the Life Behind the Trig podcast. We got some pretty good feedback on episode 1, so I think we're going to try and do this maybe weekly, maybe two a week, just because, I mean, quite frankly, we have nothing better to do just now. And we've got Sinclair back, myself and Sinclair, we're going to take a sort of host format. So uh,
1: Sinclair, have you been doing much in the last sort of week? It's been a good week, Kyle. I think I uh, think just, just to echo you, um, thanks for, for everyone's sort of... Uh, positive feedback over the last week. It's been uh been quite cool to to have messages of sort of support. Um we've already got some some really good uh sort of feedback on future topics and also feedback on sort of uh people that we'd like to kinda of have on the, the podcast. So yeah, that's been been really cool over the the last week.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I honestly thanks everyone. I think the plan is for the first sort of handful of episodes, like three, four episodes. It'll just be myself and Sinclair. People listening can get an idea of what we're going to talk about, or our personalities, if you will, and then we'll maybe look to try and get a few folks on and add some uh, some some depth to this
1: or or lack of. <laughs> 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 but no, nah, no, nah, it's been really good. And uh, like I said, quite quite excited about some of the people that we've already reached out to and have sort of uh, provisionally agreed to to come on the podcast. Um, and a lot of them have much more experience. As throwers and in life than uh, than we do, so <laughs> I think it's going to be really smart to to get them involved. And um, like I said, well, we'll maybe start in in Scotland, but then there's definitely potential to to go overseas with that as well. So uh, re- really looking forward to to starting to introduce some some guests on the podcast too.
0: Yeah, and I think the first uh, topic we're going to start off today. I don't think we're going to sort of say, "Oh, here's the next topic." We're just going to try and flow the conversation like we did previously, but. The first topic today that we're looking to discuss and then move on with is, and this is our personal experience, the biggest characters or legends of the games that myself and Sinclair have uh, encountered. Um, And number one, uh, I don't think many people would argue that he certainly had an influence on the games. I'll let you speak a bit about the man himself.
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, we probably mentioned him last last episode, um, but we're maybe going to start off with... Sir Hamish M. Davidson. Sir so Hamish a lot M. of people a lot of people have uh, probably heard of of Hamish. Um he's pretty infamous in, in the Highland Games circuit, both in Scotland and worldwide, I would say. Um but he's definitely had had an impact on us as, as Scottish stores. Um so Hamish has sort of a long a long history and we probably won't go into to all of the stories. I think there's uh, not enough time. D- there's definitely not enough time. You, we, we could we could absolutely do a a full podcast just on Hamish, but um, Douglas Edmonds, who who will also probably chat about at some stage, he's written a few good uh, books on the kind of history of the Highland Games, and a number of those go into a fair bit of detail um, <laughs> about the the stories of Hamish Davidson. But growing up, Hamish was always a bit of a character. So so his his kind of background in the games was that he he started as a an amateur thrower, so so he threw uh, he threw shot in, in athletics, and I think he was a number of times uh, Scottish champion and also held the Scottish record for close to twenty years. Um, I think it was about eighteen years. Hamish Davidson had the the Scottish record in the shot. Growing up, I would always hear stories of Hamish due to that sort of athletics background. Um, He grew up in Codder, which is just sort of 10, 15 miles along the road from where I live now in Inverness. Um, But as I said, he he came up, he had a couple of Scottish records, or he held the Scottish record in the shot put for close to 20 years. Um, And then he made the jump from amateur to professional Highland Games. Um, So once he became a professional, I think he, he won a number of big titles. He 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 was champion at Crief, so Crief is our open Scottish championship. Um he I think won Bremar at some stage. He also won a Boyne. But probably what uh <laughs> what he was maybe best known for was the <laughs> the famous fifty one one. So you with? can maybe expand on his uh is fifty-one-one. We we obviously with with our our team Alba made some fifty-one-one uh, <laughs> baseball caps, which we'll maybe look to do another runoff. But um, would, did you ever throw at a games where he uh, where he did his little fifty-one-one spiel? I mean, first of all, I want to call Sinclair an absolute sellout for plugging his
0: merch. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've heard it multiple times, and uh, let's be honest, I, I've been in the mid to high forties with a, a heavy stone, definitely not with a ball. But I, th- I don't think anyone who's competed in Scotland hasn't heard someone at some point say, 51-1 with the 22-pound <laughs> ball. The old women in the streets still talk about it today. And he'd, uh, he'd go along those lines telling you about it. And Oh, I-, I can remember one year being at Gordon Castle and trying to get him to start with some of his stories. And he, he did uh, mention the 51-1 and then he started talking about the Stones of Density.
1: Yeah, yeah, he loved those. So, so they were kind of... Uh... What were they like? Fifty kilo wheels. Oh, I. I don't, um, which he'd, he, 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 they're definitely sorry, not don't
0: calibrated go... or the same weight. They were just. Nah, three. they changed <laughs> weight.
1: They changed weight every single games. But he'd stick them on the end of an Olympic bar, uh, and then he'd, he'd always have his deadlift um, at his games. And we'd be deadlifting. I I reckon we'd be we'd be deadlifting maybe two hundred and sixty kilos, but of course the crowd would be told that we were deadlifting three hundred and forty kilos. So, um, it always boosted your ego a little bit when you, you, know when you
0: uh, went to it. <laughs> my, my genuine deadlift PB was at one of Hamish's games. Like I, I struggle to deadlift, right? I've got a weird AC joint, and I can yeah. clean, I can push press, I can do behind neck, and my shoulder's fine, right? But see, when I deadlift and get up to some sort of high weights, my shoulder just feels awkward my right side. So my actual deadlift PB was at one of the most surreal Highland games I ever took part in, which I believe he labelled... MD, which is um and sorry Highland Games. So MD's is like a small theme park in Scotland, yeah. and uh, I went to compete there. they would asked like a handful of us along, and it was one of the most surreal
1: Highland Games experiences of my life. Um, it's because of, it's... of the events as well. You'd, oh. you'd always have you'd have your traditional uh, Highland Games events, but then there'd just be. Uh, random add-ons that that were sort of decided five minutes before so it was quite cool like growing up when i hit maybe 16 um i had jason young lived in tain where i went to school Um, and also malcolm cleghorn at the time was was doing a fair bit of throwing as well so every single wednesday night in the summer for about 10 to 12 weeks we would travel from uh from tain to Fort William, which was about two and a half hours. Um, so it was good kind of spending time with those guys and, and just learning from their experience in the games. But the reason we were travelling down was to go to Hamish's Braveheart Highland Games. See, I've, so I've every heard Wednesday of that. night in Fort, Fort William, which is a big sort of a tourist spot in Scotland, we'd, we'd travel down and he would run his Braveheart Games, which was, again, a combination of Highland Games events, but also the most random sort of strongman events that you'd ever seen. So for sure, we'd be pulling a Jaguar uh, on the grass, risking uh, a ruptured Achilles every week. But again, for, for me, it was great, just the experience of meeting Hamish, having him commentate, um, and then he'd, he'd force us to go and uh, kind of engage with the crowd. I think that's something we don't really do enough, uh, off now at Scottish Highland Games. Like during the 56 for height, He'd have uh, someone go out with a fifty sixer and just let the let the crowd feel the weight of it, you know. Yeah. Um And it just gives them some perspective because if they're just watching us do events, they've no idea what's what's really going on. But I also s- saw some quite impressive throws at those uh, those Braveheart games as well. Guys like Aaron Neighbor, Gregor Edmonds, uh, I'm sure Bruce Robb, They they'd always come up and and have a throw on a, a Wednesday night. It was good because you were guaranteed a hundred pounds, which would cover your fuel as well. Um, but <laughs> no, he an absolute character. I think when when Hamish was younger as well as throwing, he he, uh, I'm sure he podiumed at, at Britain's Strongest Man as well, and and I think put up some some pretty big powerlifting numbers as well.
0: Yeah, I mean the thing is uh, Hamish had so many uh, bows to string. If you uh, sorry, strings to his bow, if you know what I mean. Um, bows to string.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but
0: okay. he, he, he certainly he, he excelled at quite a number of things, and he seemed to be good at anything that involves sort of strength or athletic movement. Uh, Will, yeah. Willie told me many stories about him. Uh, one of them, and I, I can't remember the exact, but I, I knew I, I knew a catalogue of information about Hamish before I'd even met him through Willie Willie Robertson. He's yeah. uh, he's my coach. We'll talk about him a bit later. But he told me that Hamish was on the edge of some sort of British selection to go to some sort of international uh, competition. And he was yeah. sitting, waiting, 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 and I believe a, a handful of people had had the letter saying they were selected. And I think Hamish had basically thought, "Oh, sod it, I'm not getting it." So he turned professional at the Highland Games, and I believe he competed. and Willie had told me it was when he came home or a few days later he got a letter through telling him he'd been selected, obviously as an amateur. And he then yeah, couldn't saw, do it, so he
1: couldn't he couldn't go back
0: because um, he'd gone pro. But most of my most of my stories of Hamish before. Uh, I'd even met him had painted quite a a rogue picture if you will. Um yeah. yeah. I'm sure
1: at some stage in in his uh, in his, his throwing and then commentating career he he was arrested. Um <laughs> I don't have any details on that but uh he was actually a he was a good artist as well. So yeah there's like, so much isn't known about him like
0: he was a, a semi successful farmer
1: as well. Um Yeah, like, well, he used to have a mink farm. Um and they were sort of like like ferrets aren't they yeah. I think that's kind of how he started out in farming and then he switched to uh, travelling the game circuit selling paintings of Highland cattle and stuff <laughs> like, you know what I mean? is, so whenever he'd run demos there'd always be someone that he had lined up uh, with a little stall selling his his, his paintings for a £100 a pop.
0: I, I, I can remember being 17-18 and he'd uh, asked Willie to go along a uh, sort of a come and try thing for people to come out of the crowd and try and I'd sort of been asked to come and help. And he goes, you can have, say, I don't know, you can have 50 pounds or I'll give you this weight that you can practice with and get better. And I would be like, I'll take the weight. Um, and then I'd, I'd take that instead of getting sort of a payment for my, my services rendered, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I think I still have one of those, or Willie's got it in the... Uh, oh, his his wife has it. Willie's wife has it in the garage still. Uh, but it, it makes you laugh. And uh, honestly... I, I need to talk about this M&D's Highland Games demo I did with him. Um, so it was a competition. There was about six of us competing. And there was meant to be a load of strong men that turned up as well to do some bench pressing, um, deadlifting. And then this bloody carpool, right? So M&D's, the, the, the theme park or the, the sort of rides and whatnot, they had like a safari truck, they called it. So I don't know what a weight the weight was, like a ton, one and a half tons. And we were to pull it uh, with a harness on as far as we could. So if I remember correctly, I was first up and I was moving it. And I was like, this thing isn't moving. Like, I thought it was move all right. And then all of a sudden, I just heard the noise and the handbrake was released. So I'm walking (laughs) along first up. And uh, suffice to say, I didn't win the event. But uh, that was an experience. And then I remember us competing. And there was maybe like 10 competitors all in. And there was maybe 20 people came through the gate, including Amy, who's my wife being one of them. Amy left fifteen minutes after the event started to go watch her own competition because there was almost nothing happening. It
1: just he, he's uh, he, he's just such such a character, and I like like we said, the the stories could just go on and on. But I think um, we both probably had the experience of of throwing with Hamish, but then for for the last few years, he'd obviously gone into to commentating, and as Kyle said, that's kind of where the the fifty one one came from. Um, he'd he'd absolutely hammer that on the mic, but it was so funny just watching the kind of expression on the on the crowd's faces and the description of throwers was was brilliant as well. Um, but he'd usually ask you a few questions uh, about how training's been going and how things have been over the last couple of months, and then he'd massively elaborate on that during the <laughs> during the events. And sometimes you like sometimes there was decent prize money as games as well. And you would be trying to take things seriously, but you'd be like bending down to, to pick the caber up, and you'd just have to crack up laughing <laughs> uh, with, with some of the stuff that the guy would come out with. But no, nah, he's, he's definitely one of the, uh, I would say, the, the, for me, the biggest characters in, in the Highland Games. And obviously, he's sadly no longer with us, but uh, that's kind of why uh, a few years ago now we'd, we'd released our 51 1 hats, which, again, we probably will look so, to do another. Another run on. So, uh, I think he's, he's for me, one of the biggest characters of the, the Highland Games uh, in my time, anyway. But what uh, about you? Have you got I, I any that kind of stand out for you?
0: I mean, Hamish has to be mentioned, and uh, also has yeah. to mention that I only competed against him once in my, my first ever professional games, if you'll call it that, aka not an age group level. Uh, and I technically yeah. did get the W, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. I'm not sure to <laughs> brag about it, whether the man being in his probably late 50s. Um, nah. But an- another one I want to mention, and this is like growing up and coming through the ranks of the under 25s, which is a league here, which is an incentive uh, by the Grand Pain Games Association for younger throwers. So it's 18 to 25. We covered it briefly the last time. Some of the people that would judge you in that, you would have, you know, Sandy Henry Gray, you've got Bill Anderson. I mean, both legends in their own right. You've got Mr. Fivey, who would yeah. imagine You've got Mr. Sim also. And then the current uh, sort of roster, if you'll call it that, of uh, judges—you've got Alistair Gunn, Bruce Aitken, Pete Hart's been uh, lending a hand. Like there, there's there's some characters there in themselves. But uh, Sandy Henry Gray uh, is a man worth worth talking about as well. He had multiple famous catchphrases. So in the morning, if there was too many throwers, it was getting close to the afternoon or the open event starting. You'd hear Henry's famous two throws. So you <laughs> go from single time, yeah. three throws an event down to two throws, uh, and and on occasion, I remember there being, I think it was a pot we had to do one throw because there was about thirteen throws in the under 25s there was yeah, about an well, hour,
1: like, and like, he, he loved the two throws. But getting into to the under 25s I I I hadn't really known sort of Henry's background, um, but he, he's a natural giant, wasn't he? He was he was about six foot six foot seven was Henry.
0: Yeah, and it's the size of his hands as well, they were genuine like spades.
1: Biggest hands I've ever seen in my life. Um and if, if you threw well, uh you'd get a hint of a smile. And if you didn't throw well, you'd just get a, a shake of the head. Oh, no, that's not um, very good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There was a famous my, my dad always tells me, uh like I can't remember what year it was, but Bruce Aitken was, was throwing the hammer real. Real far, like up close to the the 150s. And I think he was maybe going for a record at a games. Again, we'll we'll hopefully get Bruce on and he can talk about this. But at the time, he worked at a a biscuit factory or something um, locally, and he was he was just about to to go for a record in the in the hammer. Again, I don't even know what games. It might have been a boy, and I think it was one of the big grampian games. And Bruce. Uh, he was, he was just, just sort of, he'd thrown the hammer out to the side. And Henry started going, Bruce, Bruce. Bruce, Bruce sort of looked at him. He said, Have you got any of that biscuit mix? you <laughs> are <laughs> just about to go for this record, potentially a world record. Again, we'll, we'll chat to Bruce about it. Henry's asking if he's got any uh, any biscuit mix. <laughs> but I think back in his day when he was throwing, Henry was apparently, he's famous for walking over the Braemar Caber. Apparently, he didn't didn't even need to run. His levers were that big that he uh, he he maybe just got a little trot on and and tossed the Braemar caber. I mean, the and he'd is, always give you he'd always give you tips on the caber as well. You know, he would tell you to pull it high above your head. Um, I've always had a bad tendency to kind of jab the caber, but he'd always say pull it high, pull it high.
0: <laughs> I mean, to be frank, I still don't know what I'm doing with a caber, uh, but I know what you mean. Um, he'd always have little comments and. Um, he'd be trying to help, but the thing was, even when he was judging in the under twenty five, he was in his late seventies, well into his eighties, and yeah. he was still a massive man. And you yeah. know, we all shrink as we get older, or we hunch over. So, I'm um, I, I, I also pretty sure that he was still working actively with with some cattle and uh, on his farm as well until you know towards the end when he when he sadly passed. He yeah. was still a very no. active
1: man. I uh, know he was, and and even like you said, he would do long days at the. At the games as well, because we'd often we'd often start at ten o'clock in the morning, and he'd be there half nine, ready to go, setting the trig up, um, and then often he'd he'd grab his, his lunch and a, a Glenfiddich miniature and continue right through until the afternoon. Which obviously a lot of the guys do now as well. Um, you you already mentioned some of them uh, there in the sort of introduction to this topic, but I think uh, you know we we massively appreciate the time that. A lot of those ex throwers put into to now judging, and they're always very encouraging. You know, when when you're coming up as a youngster through that 18 to under 25 uh, league, the, the guys are really really encouraging. I mean, I remember uh, one of my first under 25 Highland games, um, and the Aitken brothers were there, both both throwing very well, and. Uh, Stephen was one of the first guys to sort of pull me aside and say, oh, it's great to see youngsters coming into the sport and really stick in, stick at it, and you'll you'll do well. And, you know, previous to that, it, it's not often you get kind of older guys that you really look up to pulling you aside and, and encouraging you like that. Uh, and like I said at the time, St- Stephen and Bruce were were both thrown really far, and um, they're absolutely too... Uh, people that I, I looked up to throughout sort of my younger years and um i think there's there's many others as well but we will try and get bruce Aiken on the podcast
0: i mean you'll still be looking up to him now with yourself being vertically challenged somewhat um <laughs> but it's funny you say that about uh, Stephen. i can remember competing at um i think it's Gervin highland games it used to be called i'm not sure if, what the name is now but he, he turned up and he was sort of thrown throughout the day he had music on and he was chatting away to me i'd never met him first time i met him and at the end of the day, he did kind of pull me aside and he said, listen, similar to yourself, actually, it's great to see younger lads thrown. Stick yeah. at it. That You've got many years ahead of you. Um, you know what I mean, you're, you're competing against a good field today. I was competing against like Neil Elliott. Stephen was there. Jason was there. You know, there's some, some good throwers. And that, I mean, that's 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's something yeah. that, you know, what I mean, as a younger lad coming into the games, it's quite, quite reassuring just to have someone sort of say, stick at it.
1: No, it is, it is, and it, and it sticks with you as well. Um, you know, it, it, for, for I'll still look back on that and, and, and think about that, and it's, it's definitely something that's sort of stuck with me. And, I'll, you know, I, I'd like to think that um, now as a more experienced thrower, like I said, I'm 33 now, um, hopefully got a fair few years left, but I'll try and do that with, with younger boys as well. Um, you know, if, if you see someone... New into the games, you will try and try and encourage them and, and get them going. And what you mentioned last time, if we could get some more sort of open days and training days, um I think that would be a a, a good route in for for these younger guys. And we definitely have a role to play, oh, in, uh, sort of encouraging them and, and bringing them up and that's, making that's, sure that the sport continues, don't we?
0: That's the thing when I when I was competing under twenty fives from the, I was basically in it full time, if you will, not missing games. I think it was from 1920 to when I was 24 and I I, I sort of, I don't want to say I got kicked out, but I went into the Open. And when I was competing in it for most of that time, you would have like at least six guys. Sometimes you'd be peaking at 13, 14. And all of the last year, I think there was maybe an average of three games. And there were some games with two guys. There were some with like five or six. Like that, There's competition there for people. So if you're interested in the games and you're 18 to 25 years old, there's games out there. Go out, do a bit of throwing in the next year. You've got plenty of time, and there, there's an opportunity there for you to sort of learn your craft in a a sort of more condensed uh, format with the, the five events.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, and and I'd also say for for young throwers to go along to your to your local athletics club as well. I mean, you mentioned you did that. Um, you, you started as a sprinter. I also went to uh, the Black Isle Harriers when when I was young. Um, and it was the best way into to throwing, you know, through through shot and discus. Through Never running. really tried <laughs> the wire hammer, but um, I think for for the basics of things like strength and conditioning, you can't really beat going to an athletics club. No,
0: I mean it's your your bread and butter, really, isn't it? Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. I think that's that's a great route into to throwing. Going back to the the Glenfiddich, Kyle. So. You obviously mentioned Henry, and I think he was he was a sort of mainstay judge for both of us coming up and through. Yeah. Um, but another kind of surreal experience was always being judged by uh, Bill Anderson,
0: <laughs> arguably so, probably one of the, probably the greatest Highland Games athlete of all time. I would yeah. argue one of the greatest Scottish athletes, and definitely one of the greatest Scottish throwers of all time. Uh, I, again, yeah. we could probably do a full episode just talking about his CV of what he accomplished. Yeah, um but yeah. having having him judge you like someone like that was, was unbelievable. Um just the sort of presence of them at the games, you were kinda of like wow.
1: It was strange always and and he'd only he, he would do the bigger games. Um I think would 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 he occasionally do a boyne? He I, definitely did
0: Bremar, didn't he? Yeah, I saw him multiple times at bremar I've definitely he's definitely judged me at a Boyne a few times. I feel like yeah. I've seen him somewhere else, but I can't like I can't put my finger on it.
1: No, but he was definitely every every year he he would judge uh, at Bremar games, and again quite quite similar to to Henry Gray, um, you know Bill, f- for us as as younger throwers, um, he he wouldn't like be over the top ever, <laughs> far from it, you know, if you got a a hint of a smile, uh, you you knew that you'd done something right, uh, and he would kind of whisper the odd the odd comment to you as you, you walked away from the trig after a throw. He wouldn't necessarily be the type of guy to take you aside. Um but he'd he'd definitely give you some some quiet encouragement. I uh,
0: <laughs> I had a well done from him once. I'll give a bit of background, but um the old Meldrum Aberdeen games under twenty five slash Glenn Fiddick was always a double header. So I quite often would stay in Aberdeen with either like Jamie Gunn, uh, someone under twenty-five, and would go out the night, bef- uh, the night before Aberdeen, the, the night of Old Meldrum, would have a, a drink, go out for a scran, and then see what happens. But I remember being ill throughout the night. I basically didn't sleep. Um, I'll just say I didn't feel great. Uh, it, was, it wasn't <laughs> alcohol, put it that way. I had had a few drinks, but it wasn't that. Came to the games the next day, uh, arrived late, and Aberdeen's got a funny thing where... Everyone who's competing gets in before and then the gates open. So I got stuck in the queue trying to get in. And by the time I got in, I had to put my hammer boots on and I was first up. And I remember my first throw. I had no expectations, no warm up. I was like, right, I'll put one out. Gently went through the motions and I threw it. And I think I broke the record. And I remember, yeah. I don't know if Bill was judging or he was there, but he said, oh, that's quite impressive. Like, Maybe not to those words, but something along those lines. And yeah. I just yeah. remember being like, wow, Bill Anderson's like, you know what I mean? Just a comment from him mm. was
1: enough. Yeah, yeah, like one of those quiet guys that, if you get that, you you know you're doing all right.
0: <laughs> I'd say one of my favourite Bill Anderson memories was I'm going to assume it was Bremar, but um, one thing that happens in Scotland is people quite often come out the crowd at games and they want to throw. Um, quite often it's tourists, and there's a lot of games where they will uh, accommodate that. And, and Bremar, I have to say, is certainly one where that probably shouldn't be the case. It's kind of a massive occasion. It's the the final event of the Grandpain leagues. And an American gentleman had came out of the crowd. He had his kilt on. I'm assuming he was a tourist, but he said he had the background in throwing, and I can only assume that Bill had sort of raised an eyebrow and wasn't too sure of to this. And mm-hmm. I remember him walking out and putting the skein do doing the ground at, at like say in the putt. It was like forty feet, thirty five feet. And He says, if no one gets past this, you don't get another throw. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, you'd see, you'd see throwers getting maybe one throw, and then that was that was pretty much their day done.
1: But it also puts pressure on the experience stores. Yeah, because fouls, <laughs> fouls can happen. Like, fouls I know, are, I know, are, are not I don't, I remember, of. it's happened at a few games for us. The one at, I remember more recently was, was Series, um, when they were doing the, the, the filming for that Gordon Ramsey TV show. Oh, the, uh, the road trip. Yeah, that's right, and uh, they, they obviously did the same there, but we only had one throw to, to reach. it. <laughs> it was only 45 foot in the, in the light putt, but we were all a bit nervous.
0: Yeah, the the worst thing for me, right, is when you've got two throws as a twenty-eight, because yeah. the twenty-eight, you're always tickling the parameters of what you can throw in. And there's you, that, there's you, that. You've um, one
1: one of the comments last week was uh, referring to to your use of the word tickling, <laughs> and I do, I do think you, you you seem to like the word. I, I didn't. I
0: didn't even realise. I'd be curious to see who <laughs> said you know? that, but um, You said it. <laughs> Testing the parameters tickling. is what I'll say. There you go. There you go. But, you know, the twenty eight, you are always close to the edge. um, And for for me, um, I tend not to foul at the back. It's more maybe the front with my foot. So when someone turns around and you've got two throws, you think, oh, no, I need need to get one in here. Um, But you also need to be, you know, in the mix.
1: It's definitely nerve-wracking. And two throws is tough, especially, like, it's happened once at at Bremer. um, And it's tough at Bremer because you don't get any warm-ups. There's so much going on. The, the, the Queen arrives at whatever time, two o'clock, um, and everything is is about the Queen for that hour. So the, the throwers still still go through the motions and and get on with the competition. Um, but due to the number of sort of press and media around, you just can't warm up in any event. Uh, so to no, have no warm up and then only two throws, you know, the, the pressure is really on. It's tough yeah. going.
0: I mean, just to summarise uh, Henry Gray as well, like when, when the royals al- arrive, the, the the Queen and uh, Prince Philip tend to come in, in the front car. When they come and when they leave, Philip would always look over towards Henry. Like, and uh, he'd actually General give Lord. him like a, a wave, like, how are you doing? And yeah. it wasn't like a, a thing that was off the imagination. Like, he genuinely was looking for him. And I can remember the sort of sad moment of the year uh, Henry had sad- sadly died, and uh, Prince Philip was looking about, and you could see him obviously thinking, where is he?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was, I mean, Henry was there for so long, you know. And he, he stand. He, stu, he stood. A, out. <laughs> Henry and Bill are, are both big big losses to to the games. And oh, people yeah. that we'll definitely miss. You know, as as judges, we we obviously never saw them throwing, but they were definitely a big part of the games for us coming up as as young throwers. Yeah, um, I'll tell you a guy who's who's very much still around and actively judging. Um, at least once a year is Sandy Sutherland. So I don't know if you've ever come across Sandy Sutherland. he's, yeah, he's based up north.
0: Inver Karen it was um, quite a. He was quite a, a kind of happy go easy guy. If I'm thinking of the right the right gentleman. Yeah, no,
1: that that's definitely Sandy. Yeah, he's um, quite happy to have so a chat and get he, on with the conversation. and and always does John John Hugh MacLeod's games as well um, up in Loch Inver. But Sandy uh, was sort of famous for for only being about fourteen stone and again you, you can convert that to pounds but um fourteen stone and, and throwing the hammer I'm sure about hundred and forty foot. Uh, so you
0: you're talking about ten foot of stone. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. not a bad conversion rate is it?
1: <laughs> it's uh it's impressive when when you see someone that sort of weight throwing throwing the hammer that far, you know? It almost uh, just, uh, just the speed the speed the thing's going is is really impressive. It almost makes you want to talk about the lightweights. That <laughs> <laughs> like when you've not eaten enough to to get into the heavyweight, I, th- I think so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Sandy, hey, I've I, I've 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 gone the other way. I'm I'm uh, I'm trying to lose weight. So <laughs> well,
0: I think a lot of people will be doing the same. Cause there's not much going on yeah. just now. But uh, yeah, no. I, can, I can remember Sandy judging Invercarron. So is always the last games of the season for us. I would yeah. always say it's quite a relaxed affair. You know, it's a fair drive, but everyone's just there, sort of it's, it's kind of a weird thing in the air because you think, oh, I'm not going to see everybody for, you know, six, seven, eight months. But uh, you're still competing, obviously, but at the end of the day, you're just there to sort of enjoy yourself and finish your season. But yeah, it, it's it was always always, it's uh, always quite a warm atmosphere there and Sandy was always a, a nice enough guy when he's judging. And again, he's one of these people He's just kind of got a like a, an aura about him that like you can tell that he's he knows what he's doing. And I mean, as you said, 140 feet at 14 stone is genuinely... You know, that, that's impressive
1: impressive throwing yeah and I, I think we we probably don't realize at times um kind of how fortunate we are as, as scottish throwers in a scottish sport you know just to be brought up around around these sort of legends of of the highland games
0: yeah i mean i mean definitely um, I, I mean if i was to say to you who are your sir, who's been your coaches you like your 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 role model or your inspiration when you were growing up as a thrower um, the yeah. Jumps
1: so, to mind. like I said in the last episode, um, I'd I'd come up mainly playing rugby. I, I did a bit of athletics in school. Joined the Black Isle Harriers, and predominantly threw shot put and discus. Um, and the reason for that was was that my dad, George Patience, had had previously been a a discus thrower. So he was uh, he threw for Inverness Harriers. He grew up in the in the Black Isle. Uh, in Scotland, left school at sixteen and became a fisherman. Uh, but while he was fishing, he was he was also throwing amateur athletics. So um, he went to the he was he was a British champion with a glide um, with a five k and then up to the to the six k I think as a schoolboy. Um, but then when he was fishing, he was training in the discus predominantly and doing some amateur Highland games. So. He, in 1986, uh, went to the Commonwealth Games for the discus in Edinburgh. So that down was kind it, of down what... Down Meadowbank? What... Yeah, Meadowbank, yeah. yeah. It, was, it, was, uh, it was in Scotland. And then we've since had one more in Scotland, haven't we? Was it 2014 we had yeah. Glasgow?
0: Down in, down in Glasgow, sunny Glasgow. Um,
1: so he, he threw the Commonwealth Games in the discus and he made the final, made the top eight. Wow. In the 1986 Commonwealth Games, so that was quite cool. You know, I, I was obviously just born at the time, I think, um, but I always always knew about that growing up, um, and that was sort of what got me into athletics. So I started throwing the discus, gravitated more towards the shot putt, um, won the Scottish schools uh, when I was in 60, so I would have been about 17, um, and then went away to play Rugby for a long time, but when I came back, which was about two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, um, he really got me into throwing again, um, and was always sort of one of my biggest inspirations in throwing. So in his career, he, he went on to throw in the professional Highland Games and, and won the world, the Webster World Championships in nineteen ninety four, um, and also the. S SHGA World Championships as well. So always someone that, that I've looked up to in the Highland Games. But I'm sure you know what it's like. Uh, I never growing up would listen to him. I <laughs> like won't... although he'd although he'd done done that, you know, he'd had his athletics career and professional Highland Games world champion. Um I I often wouldn't listen. I think I'm probably quite difficult to, to coach. <laughs> okay. I I think I can pick techniques up relatively quickly, but I'll always go off track and and look towards my own sort of training. Um, I've done that for a while now, and it's only now at at 33 that I'm kind of thinking uh, (laughs) he's been right all along.
0: (laughs) That's only taking a few years, you know. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. But uh, like I said, hopefully not too late. And uh, No, my, my dad's definitely, I would say, my biggest... Inspiration in in the Highland Games. There's others which which I'll I'll talk about as well, and um, coming up as a young thrower. But who who would be your your biggest inspiration? I know you know last last time you mentioned that Willie Robertson was your first sort of coach in the Highland Games. Would would he be your biggest?
0: Hey, I mean as I said in the, the last episode, I, I started as a sprinter and Willie basically put me pulled me aside and he kind of kindly said, "You're wasting your time running. Come and start throwing." So I started throwing. Yeah. Competed in. Uh, competed in athletics and his mentality was when you were younger up to the age of under 15 you'd do all the throwing events bar the javelin because that's not a real throwing event um but you do all the throwing (laughs) events and then once you hit under 17 under 15 you you choose the events you want to sort of maybe do so i was drawn towards hammer and i reluctantly sort of threw discus and and putt but uh, the hammer (laughs) was always mine i competed at age group level and whatnot he took me through that and then it probably would have been about the age of 16 17 just before going into the under 20s I moved through to yeah. Glasgow and I was coached by a gentleman called Duncan Hugel. Um, okay. We uh, wee Geordie fella. Um, apparently, I never saw him thrown, but he was a very impressive uh, specimen in his youth. A small right. fella with an incredibly large amount of uh, explosive capabilities. But yeah. uh, Willie Willie competed in the Commonwealth Games and uh, it was in the wrestling. But
1: was that the same? Was that in the... In Scotland as well? 86? No. I'm
0: honestly not sure. I, I'd need yeah. to double check. I, would, I wouldn't want to say something and it's not the truth. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I know that the first uh, professional Highland Games I competed in was actually in his Commonwealth Games celt. Um, How was it? Yeah, that, that's what I was wearing. and I remember having to put a belt on because it was a little bit too big for me. Um, yeah, but yeah. I'm sure he competed in, cool. in the Commonwealth Games at the age of 40. And it was against a, a former New Zealand prop, like international. Right. And ah, cool. I think he was over... The, the prop was over in Scotland for something, and Willie actually met up with him, and they went out for for like a meal and a drink. Did they? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Willie, I always remember him telling me the story that he was at his mum's house one weekend, and he'd been over in Canada competing, and there'd been film crews about, and he'd been interviewed and that, and he didn't think much of it. And then this TV show was almost it was at his mum's, like by chance. They were sitting watching it, and they'd literally made like a hero out of him because he was competing in the throwing events. I think mm-hmm. he'd done like the ninety yards or something along those lines, and then he was also doing the wrestling. So they, yeah, they just started following him about. He wasn't fully aware of it, and there's just this full TV show painting him as like, I can do everything, you know. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up with him. Um, he, he was always kind of a funny guy. Um, I'd
1: always hear stories about Willie Robertson, like he he would uh, he ne- never never cheat. I think I think Willie was a great guy, but there were always funny stories. He told like the he'd line. Try and con- conceal a strap. He, <laughs> like he, no, you know what,
0: do you know what he do, Sinky? He tickle the line of what you're allowed to do. <laughs> There we go. There it is. But he used to he used to ask me to train with the the strap and the 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 weight events just because he said well, to save your grip. And here's a fun yeah, fact yeah. for you. I think
1: he tried to sneak. Into My. Games. I, I remember though so, when you, uh, when you first the started hybrid throwing. You yeah you you did a little wire hammer technique in the twenty eight.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It was a well, one turn, so you do a, a sort of half-hammer turn in your first and then you go into like a discus turn. And it, yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. it kind of worked, but I was never going to beat you last. But here's a fun fact for you. Um, one of the things that sort of clashes with the games uh, across the Atlantic is the whole rotational weight for height and standing weight for height. And yeah. Willie always told me that at Grangemouth Highland Games, which is my hometown, Chris Black was thrown, who is a very prominent wire hammer thrower. Um used to mm-hmm. hold the British yeah. record until it was... a uh, taken the last few years, I think initially by Mark Dry and now by Nick Miller, is that right?
1: Yeah, I think that's right, yeah, um, because he, he went into coaching Chris, didn't
0: he? Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I think uh, they were doing the weight for height and there was someone beating Chris and and Willie turned round and he says, I've got the rule book here, Chris, there's nothing that says you can't do a hammer turn and throw it over the bar, so I believe it was at Grangemouth Highland Games, which used to exist many years ago and does not now... Um, <laughs> Chris Black won the event doing a rotational, and I believe whoever it was, the beat sort of turned around and went, "You can't do that." Yeah. Uh, and many people credit that with the, the the birth of the rotational weight for height, or at least Willie uh, did.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's loads of stories about about different techniques, isn't there? But uh, no, that's that's an interesting one. The other one uh, you, you you can still throw, so you can still throw um, amateur games the weights with two hands can't you yeah and i believe you can also
0: use a hammer glove
1: yeah yeah amateur games in, in, in rules. scotland you can whereas in professional games um in scotland we're, we're not allowed to wear gloves uh, we're allowed tape on our fingers but but we're not allowed to wear gloves yeah i um, don't see i mean i i don't know there's guys that have thrown the weights a lot further than i have wearing gloves but i how the, the glove would massively benefit. Sorry, you, Sinclair,
0: but, I'm not sure what happened there. You cut out for about five seconds. Um, we just no, dude, sorry, no, I was
1: just saying, Kyle, I, I'm not sure uh, there'll be guys who who have thrown the the weights a lot further than I have with gloves, but I'm not sure how gloves would would benefit you unless unless it's really hot weather. So maybe if someone can. Uh, can message us and tell us why gloves help when you're throwing the weights. that would be good.
0: <laughs> I mean, you'll just build up, like, five years worth of tacky and then you get to know it and it, it helps yeah, you. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But one
0: one of my favourite things about Willie and I didn't actually hear this from him but he did confirm it. Willie used to cut about on his moped or a small motorbike doing the game circuit and he'd sleep under bridges with just his kilt and his throwing gear on him and basically go town to town through the summer making his money. He saved his money and that's how he actually built his house, which is... Uh, and and his uh, town that he stayed in called Turficken
1: That that sounds similar to uh, to Hamish Davidson. <laughs> there you go. Apparently, he turned up at a games with like twigs in his hair. He always had this big like mane of hair. And someone said to him, Hamish, you look you look terrible. Where did you stay last night? He was, Under that tree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the the other person that I need to mention as well is uh, Walter Weir. So Walter oh, yeah. was a bit of a yeah. stalwart on the the amateur circuit down this way, and later became a professional. He's helped me a lot in my my later um, games career in terms of we do a lot of like corporate and demonstration days together. Yeah, he, he's yeah. also been pretty good with me in terms of equipment and just generally helping out where he can. Um, I, someone I probably wouldn't be, I wouldn't have the equipment and the the capabilities to train the way I do just now without his input. He's also mm-hmm. got one of I would argue the one of the best weight for height setups I've seen. It's a knockoff bar that you just pull a bit of rope and it goes straight back on. It's uh, a yeah, pretty well, genius.
1: That's, I mean, one of the another difference in in Scotland to America. I know we'll we'll discuss it further, but uh, we always have knockoff knockoff bars. Certainly at SHGA games, um, we always have knockoff bars for for the weight for height. So uh, anything like that can help. It saves a lot of time, doesn't it?
0: Oh yeah, because I mean resetting the bar, especially if it's wooden and it snaps in between, you know, throws. I mean, everyone's got three throws at every height, and sometimes you can do six, seven heights in a competition. So if people are hitting the bar, it's a lot, a lot of wood to go through a lot of changes. So anything that can streamline is obviously a a good thing.
1: One of the best setups I've I've ever seen is uh, Douglas and Gregor Edmonds. They have a great setup for, for weight over the bar and obviously extends up for the sheaf as well. Oh yeah, the big, which is uh, one of the only games we we throw the sheaf at the big tower. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah,
0: I mean, um, you can do pretty much everything around it and you just move the bar up and down. It's one sort of universal bar. and
1: uh, It's really, really easy, yeah. yeah. yeah but they, they do it really well. Gregor Gregor does everything well with, with his games and the way that he runs them, you know. It's always very efficient. Um, even his net, you know, it's got like loopholes on it and he'll, he'll fire it up. But after the hammers are over, he'll always take the net back down so the crowd can see. And I think that's important because... You know, at the end of the day, we're 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 there for ourselves and competition, but but also for the crowd. You know, if if they can't see what we're doing, it's it's pretty much pointless. Oh, so, it's a spectator sport, yeah. isn't it?
0: That's that's the basis of it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like I said, Gregor and and Dougie Edmonds always do that very well. I suppose that'll be through Dougie's background. Which oh,
0: well, I think Sinclair's just accidentally exited the voice channel, but um. Dougie's background was uh, quite heavily in Strongman, and I mean, he can discuss all those things in his book, I believe Sinclair is back.
1: Yeah, I don't know what happened, we're, having, we're, we're struggling today.
0: <laughs> it went too well last time, I was just discussing, you were just discussing Dougie's background, I was saying he he obviously has a heavy background in Strongman, and I believe he's been credited with being sort of the father of modern Strongman in many ways, and he yeah, obviously had Yeah, I think a, he
1: was one, a, of the, one of the kind of founders of uh, World's Strongest Man, wasn't he? Yeah, and I
0: I don't know how well known that is. To, if I'm being honest, like he's he's pretty much the, the grandfather of the modern strongman, and obviously had quite a, an extensive Highland Games career, as did his son, Gregor. Um,
1: yeah, well, Gregor was world champion in 2007, I think. In, finalist in the Everest. world's
0: Strongest Man as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gregor's a, a a fair character as well. Speaking of characters of the Highland Games, and uh, I'm sure we'll 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 chat to him at some stage as well. <laughs>
0: no doubt. No doubt. Um, the other thing I was wanting to say is, uh, as a sort of ending point, one thing a lot of people don't realise is there aren't just Highland games in Scotland. Like they're all over the world, and there is opportunity to travel um, if you if you can sort of get yourself established. I mean, I think this is something we could maybe discuss next time as a, a more extensive topic. But I've been to some places you, you wouldn't believe. Like I've been through the Basque Country in Spain. I've been to America multiple times. I've been to Malaysia multiple times. I've been to Kyrgyzstan you know there's just <laughs> mad places you wouldn't you wouldn't realize you can go
1: yeah i think i think the opportunity to to travel and to meet people i mean we've both got friends around the world that without the highland games we we wouldn't have um so the opportunities to to do things like that through the highland games are kind of kind of endless and it doesn't always have to be for competitive competition either you know um of often it can be for for demonstrations and a, a bit more light-hearted um, but no there, there's definitely massive opportunities with, within the Highland Games and that's not just for throwers that's that's for uh, Highland dancers pipe bands as well judges
0: um, games committees you know uh, there's there's so much goes on behind the scenes that you don't realize um, just just to put an event on as well I mean I know Jerry was uh, Jerry Reynolds the sort of director um he, he works for Inverness Council is that right
1: yeah, well, Jerry's the events uh, events manager for for the Highland Council, uh, but he's he's run s Highland Games for for the last number of years. I think fifteen years or more.
0: Yeah, he sent me a load of information just sort of explaining what it takes to put a games on, and I mean, I read part of it and I was overwhelmed. So I I, I honestly take my hat off to any committee and anybody who you know puts the effort through to put a games on because quite often that's forgotten in this uh, this sort of day and age.
1: Definitely, yeah, and and we also need to think about them, kind of, given the the current circumstances as well. I mean, we're 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 only talking about this because we're involved with the Highland Games, and yeah. hopefully, we can get back to to competing in in the events, you know. Um, but across again, across the world, there's there's some uh, volunteers that put a, a huge amount of time into the sport, um, and again, that's not just just throwing. That's uh, across the board so I think we need to appreciate them and it's maybe something that we'll we'll look to discuss further on the next episode
0: yeah I mean um, I feel it's a nice place to wrap up this episode we've been through quite a few topics um, I think next week we'll perhaps look at more sort of trips we've been on and you know perhaps differences that exist in the games but I mean thanks for joining me again thoroughly enjoyed last week hopefully this week uh, turns out just as well
1: yeah no absolutely Kyle it's been good to chat again and again I, I've been a uh, Wandering, run, sort of wandering around a wee bit, trying to avoid uh, grass cutters. It's a nice day, so all the neighbours right, uh, maybe <laughs> dropped off a few times. Was I'll only, get it sorted
0: for next time. It was only twice, <laughs> and it wasn't too bad. I, I like to think that I talked over everything, and nobody even realised you were gone.
1: Just, just, <laughs> kept things going.
0: But yeah, I mean I think we'll maybe do these once a week, twice a week, you know, not not too regular. We're not really going to set them on days just now, just because I know I've got quite a bit of free time on my hands, as I'm sure you do and many people do as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But no, thanks again, Kyle. I'll uh I'll catch up with you soon. And thanks again to, to everyone for sort of listening.
0: Yeah, cheers again, Zinky. And if MD has any topics or any feedback, anything at all, or wants to correct us on any of our stories or anything we've said, feel free to do so and uh, we'll catch you in the next one.
1: Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers.